We're going to do one more week of the gospel. Is that cool? Cool. If you're visiting with us, um, we've been talking about the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul was warning the Corinthian church about not being led astray from, the, from a pure and simple gospel. And so we're going to do at least one more week. I, I had planned on doing something else, but the Lord's just kind of stirring something um, within this. Um, what I want to do is turn to Romans 1. So go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It says, For I am not ashamed. Now this is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Rome, to the Roman church. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now most of us know this verse um, most of us probably love this verse. This, this may even be a, a life verse, uh, a verse that you stand on. This is just like a really powerful uh, verse in your life. But this verse does not mean a whole lot if we're not walking uh, in the essence of what it means. In other words, what Paul was saying and why he was saying it. You know, if you, if you look at Romans 1 through 6... He basically gives a, a little synopsis of who Jesus is, kind of a quick um, gospel in a nutshell kind of a thing. Verse 7, he says, uh, To all the beloved who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. He's writing to the saints, like I said, the believers in Rome. And then if you look at verse 8, look at what he says. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. And he says, Because your faith is being proclaimed through the whole world. Your faith is being proclaimed through the whole world. And he's probably talking about at least two things. One, that the Roman church was having a, a good reputation for how they were conducting their lives, how they were living. He says, your, your faith is being proclaimed everywhere. Maybe they had a great reputation. But if that's true, then they were probably also proclaiming their faith abroad. One of the way, reasons he's boasting in them at that point, or, or giving them props, is because they were actually proclaiming their faith. If there's one thing that we know about the Apostle Paul, is that he gets very passionate about proclaiming the faith. He's all about it. A lot of times we use Romans 1:16 as kind of an anchor uh, in our faith. You know, I, I'm I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I love Jesus. Um, he has set me free, and I'm not afraid to shout it. You know what I mean? I am solid in the faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that's okay, and it should be used as a verse like that. But if you're writing things down, I want you to write this down this morning. You can be solid in the faith and still shrink back from sharing the gospel. Let that soak in for a minute. You can be solid in the faith. You can know the word. You could be serving in the church. You could be on a worship team. You could be doing all kinds of things. You could be mature. You could have, you could have overcome all kinds of 
uh, sin and stuff from your past and walking in that redemption and yet still shrink back from sharing the gospel. I think the reason Paul said, I'm not ashamed, is this. If you look at verse 8, look what it says. Oh, I love those sounds. Sorry. I got distracted in a good way. Not like that bad way, like, shut the kid up. I'm trying to preach. Those are good noises. <laughs> Sorry, where was I? Well, you got all these babies being born. We might as well all get used to it, right? There's going to be like goo-goos and gagas all over this auditorium and burps and, you know, all kinds of, you know, stuff going on. <laughs> okay, where were we? Uh, yeah, the reason Paul said, I am not ashamed, is you can look at verse 8. Look what he says. Uh, no, he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, when he says, I am under obligation, that word obligation means indebted. He's obviously not indebted to Greeks and barbarians. He's obviously not indebted to wise people or foolish people. Who Paul is indebted to is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. He's indebted to Jesus. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we were talking about um, the gospel. Every week we've done uh, just one of the components of the gospel. God provided a way for salvation for man through his son, Jesus Christ. And I think it was the week that we were talking about Jesus' role in the gospel. We mentioned Colossians 2.14. It says, Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he, talking about Jesus, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Talking about sin. Paul was indebted to Christ for what he did on the cross. And he understood his calling to make Jesus known. And let me just say this. He's, he's, he knows his calling, but it's without regard to who someone is. He's, whether it's Greek or, or, or barbarian, whether it's a wise man or a foolish man. When he says Greek or barbarian, he's, he's literally kind of classifying people here. You know, Greeks, a lot of Greeks were, were uh, educated and, and even wealthy. And there's all kinds of, when you say to the Greeks, there's a lot of things that that can mean. When you say barbarians, there's a lot of things that that can mean as well, right? Maybe unlearned, uneducated, maybe poor. Maybe. So he's saying, you know, I'm called to do it all. I'm indebted to Christ. And I am called to preach the gospel to whoever will listen. I don't have regard for who they are. And this is where the language in Romans one sixteen starts to kick in. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that word ashamed in the original language, it means ashamed. It can also mean disfigured. But it also can mean to shrink. So when you hear that, it's almost like he's saying... I'm not going to shrink back from sharing the gospel just because somebody may be this or that. You hear what I'm saying? It doesn't matter who they are, what kind of money they have, what kind of money they don't have, what kind of status they have, what kind of status they don't have, how smart, how foolish, how whatever. I think one of the greatest things about the Apostle Paul is that he is ever mindful of the love that God has 
for man and man's need for God. It's one of the great things about Paul. Everything flows under those two things. God's love for man and man's need for God. And here's what I think happens to us, you guys. I think that we can forget the love that God has for everybody. And I think that we can forget the need that man has for God. You know, a lot of times our faith is, one, not amounting to much. (laughs) Or our faith is amounting too much about us to the point where we are not able to have eyes to see what's going on in our friends and our families and our coworkers. You know, either our faith is just you know, there's kind of not much going on there, or our faith is really more focused on us, where we're at, how I'm doing. It's just kind of all about me. And what happens when that happens, what happens when that happens, is that we kind of lose sight of what's going on in the people around us, around us. And some of us have been believers for so long that we have forgotten the condition that we were in before we were saved. Some of us have been saved for so long that we have forgotten how desperate we were when we called out to the name of Jesus Christ. And we've forgotten how much transformation happened, especially in the beginning. You know how when you first get saved, it seems like there's just a lot of transformation that happens really fast, especially in in, um, what you might call the superficial areas or the outside areas. You know, a lot changes. God does a continual deep work in you throughout the rest of your life. But you know what I'm talking about? In the beginning, you stop doing this, you stop doing at least the things that seem to be socially unacceptable. You know what I mean? I mean, I remember when I got saved. I remember the, the desperation for something different in my life. It was, just, it was just overwhelming. And when the gospel started being presented to me, it's like, it's, it's like, oh, you know what? Something's churning here because this is evidence that something could change. There's hope for something different. And though I may not have communicated it abroad, my heart was so desiring something different. And sometimes when we've been walking with the Lord for so long, we forget. We forget those things. It's almost like when, when uh, you know, in Revelations where it says, talking about your first love, returning to your first love. You know, sometimes you kind of kind of walk away from the simplicity of just that, that first encounter and what he has done in you. And because of that, I think we tend to slip into this frame of thinking that, one, people don't want God. Because we forget what it was like <laughs> to come to the Lord. At some point, we can slip into this mindset that people don't want God. This is 2011, man. People don't want God. You know, they got their idols. They got their stuff. They're happy. They got their money. They got their gadgets. People don't want God. And I think we can even get into the mindset where we, we're, we're saying um, or thinking that God doesn't want people. <laughs> I mean, hey, they, they dug their hole. Now they can lie in it. They've gone too far. Oh, they are just to the point where they're just completely unlovely. And so those things, if we, kind of when we get self-centric, we forget just the essence of what God did for us. 
the purity and simplicity of what he did for us, we kind of forget that he could ever even do that for anybody else. And it's a really a sad case for all those who have yet to come in contact with the love and transformational power that God has and has for people. We may not ever communicate those things out loud. God doesn't want people. Well, I'd never say that. But my actions, by not communicating the gospel, in essence, that's what I am saying. Why? Because the, the, like he said, it's the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. The truth is, is that people, and hear me close, in case you didn't know this. I think we do all know this. It's just a good reminder. People do want God. They just don't know that's what they want. They're filling it up with something. And we hear these kind of those we hear this kind of stuff. Well, people are filling that void with something. You know, there's a hole in my heart and it can only be filled by you guys remember that song? It's a hole in my heart and can only be filled by you. Okay. <laughs> remember that extreme? The band that sang more than words. Seeing I love. Okay, anyway. And that's kind of a cheesy way to say it, but that's what people are doing. They're trying to fill a void in their life. Why? Because that void was created to exist. Why? So it could be filled by God. So people are going to fill it with something. People do want God. Listen to me this morning. People do want the Lord. They don't know that that's what they want, but their heart cry, the desperation in them for something different, for something to change, communicates that they want God. They just don't know that it's God that they want. And let me just say this too. God does want people. God does want people. That's what the gospel's all about. That's the whole point. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. He does want people. My Bible says that God's not even, he's not willing that any of them should perish. He wants people. So people want God and God wants people. Then there's a collision here that is bound to happen. Amen. That should happen. Let's, uh, let's look at Luke 19 real quick. You know, if we left there, if we stopped there, I think we have enough to challenge us because there is a collision that can happen. And sometimes we can be the uh, proponent, if you will, for that collision. Let me just say this before we go any further. Listen, we've got to open our eyes. We've got to look around. There's a lot of hurting, desperate people. I don't know who you hang out with. I don't know who you work with and go to school with. But the people I come in contact with all the time, man, talk about void. Void of joy void of peace, void of direction, miserable people. That's the people that we are mixing with. This is the world that we live in, a world full of people that ultimately want God and that ultimately God wants. We have them, but we forget how intense that wanting was. Well, because we've had him for a while. It's kind of like when you buy something new in that first few days, you know, you get that new app or that new whatever, and you have it, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, but then it kind of wears off, you know? 
Sometimes it can be like that with our faith. That's just a little trite. I mean, yeah, God so loved the world that he gave it. But listen, it should never be that. And I think that's what Paul was commending the, the Romans for. He said, ah, oh, that your faith is being proclaimed. And we should be people that should always be getting props. But if we're not doing anything about it, if we're not proclaiming our faith, then there's a lot of people that are staying miserable. There's a lot of people that are staying away, filling that void, that hole with things other than God. One of my favorite conversions, and I think this is so appropriate since we're, we're talking about the gospel in its simple form, purest form. One of my favorite conversions in Scripture um, is Zacchaeus. You guys know what I'm talking about, the wee little man? And a wee little man was he. So turn to, um, turn to Luke chapter 19. The heading over my, my uh, this chapter for me says Zacchaeus converted. Maybe yours says something very similar, similar to that. Uh, Luke, I was going to say Zacchaeus 19. Zacchaeus chapter 19. Luke 19, it says that he entered into, it's talking about Jesus, he entered into uh, Jericho. Jesus is traveling down through southern Palestine on his way to Jerusalem. And this journey, you guys, is actually going to be his last journey down into Jerusalem because very soon after this, uh, he, he gets tried and he gets crucified and granted he rises again. But the, like this is his last journey down. And so he's going through, um, down through that area, through southern Palestine, and he lands in Jericho. It says he enter Jer- enters Jericho. Um, and Jericho, if you don't know anything about it, is like a rich at- agricultural place. It's very, uh, in fact, it, the, the word Jericho means place of fragrance. And so the people would go there. It's actually like a, almost like a resort for royalty, um, you know, for priests, the people, the respectable people. It's almost like a resort. It was a resort, essentially. People would go there, and that was kind of like their, their hangout, their getaway. And so this is where Jesus is, is landing. And if you think about it, you know, if you kind of look through here, I mean, Jesus has other encounters, but this is kind of like the last encounter of this nature that he has before he goes to the cross. You know, and it was with Zacchaeus. And I think it's very fascinating. Um, it, says, it says that he entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was very, very rich. And I'm going to read this job description for, for a tax collector. Now, this is just the job description for a tax collector of those, of those times. It says that he was a chief tax collector. The Romans would farm out the task of collecting the taxes in any particular area to the highest bidder. The man uh, did not receive any salary for his work, in other words, tax collecting, but collected as much money as he could so that he would have a handsome rake-off after paying the government the appointed sum. Tax collectors were despised not only by the Romans, but also by their own people. This is Zacchaeus. This is who Jesus is about to encounter. Okay? So let's keep reading. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Okay, I've got to stop one more time. Zacchaeus' name. What, what was he? A thief, basically. 
a dishonest, raking the top off the deal thief. What's his name? Zacchaeus, which means pure. The state that he wants us to be in is pure. The condition that we are in is dishonest, greedy. You know, all of these things that are opposite of pure. But I think that's a powerful thing to understand about this encounter right here. Zacchaeus, his name was pure, but he was acting very, very, very different than that. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So, verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now listen, I read that. I've always read this this way. Why would this guy, who's basically a punk thug, run ahead run ahead of a, probably a big crowd and climb up a tree so that he can get a glimpse of Jesus. I don't know about you, but to me, the man had some sort of curiosity in his head and in his heart. There was something about him that was longing for something more. If he didn't care, if he was happy with his tax collecting, if he was happy with the whole shebang, why would he run ahead? But he did run ahead. There's something in him He, I believe, wanted God. Let's keep reading. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When he reached, uh, when Jesus reached the spot, I love that. When Jesus reached the spot, I almost see like Jesus is walking, you know, and he's got his peeps behind him. He's like, you know, well, he probably wouldn't like that. But, you know, he's walking and all of a sudden... I mean, really? I kind of doubt Zacchaeus was up there. Yo! When he reached the spot, it's almost like Jesus was like. I love that. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus. I wonder if they met before. I don't know, except that Jesus is his creator and wants him. And loves him, wants to be reconciled back to him, doesn't want chief tax collector, he wants pure. Jesus is concerned. Jesus wants him. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And I just love that. God knows us by name, God loves us in spite of our condition. And then look what it said. Verse 6. This is what my my Bible says. And he hurried down. Clue 1. Actually, it'll be clue 3. Because he ran. Climbed up a tree. I don't know how old the guy was. He probably wasn't like a young whippersnapper. I don't like climbing trees anymore. It hurts. So this guy is like, I'm climbing this tree. I'm going to see Jesus. So that's clue 2. And then look right here. It says that he hurried down. Okay, my boys get me climbing trees, okay, to this day. And when I get up there, listen, we better stay a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it hurt getting here. It's going to hurt getting down. I'm just saying. That's clue three. He hurried and came down and received him gladly. It says that Zacchaeus received him or welcomed him. Some of your versions may say welcomed him 
gladly. Listen, people are more interested in the gospel than you realize. They're interested in the truth. They're interested in what will bring them peace, what will, what will make their life make sense, which will bring joy in. People are more interested than you think they are. They will welcome him gladly. Maybe not right then. Maybe at that point you're just a seed planter. And maybe later you're going to be a seed waterer. But listen, Jesus wants to bring about that harvest. Amen? So he came down and welcomed him at once. It says that all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And I thought about this. It's not on the PowerPoint, I don't think. But I want you to, I want you to maybe write this down or at least log this, this thought in your head. Listen, it is most often the religious that keep the sinners from becoming saints. Let me say it again. It is most often the religious that keep the sinners from becoming saints. In fact, I'm going to have uh, Cynthia share a little something real quick. Um, I think what he's talking about is for years when I was in college, I was a waitress and um, every, I worked at a Mexican food restaurant and I was not saved. And um, every Sunday, I worked every Sunday and there was a group of um, people from this particular church who would come um, and eat lunch there. And every Sunday, there would be like 10 or 12 of them, um, and they would eat, you know, pretty cheaply, which is fine. Um, And they would witness to me, I mean, just loudly and almost obnoxiously. Um, And then they would leave every Sunday, and they would leave me like a dollar of a tip. I mean, and some days not even that. And so um, I just remember thinking, and this went on for, you know, for forever, um, and I just remember thinking, what in the world would I want to do with a Jesus who makes people obnoxious and cheap? <laughs> <laughs> this is nuts, you know. So anyway, obviously later I, I found that, but I always um, am reminded of that whenever um, I go eat anywhere, or whenever I share with anybody, you know, am I witnessing um, with love and what the true gospel is? Or am I witnessing with a bat? You know, am I being part of the solution or part of the problem? Um, so just something to keep in mind. That's good. It delayed me for years. That <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the point I always remember you saying, the Christians delayed me coming to Jesus. <laughs> it's like, ah. Oh. And we laugh because, you know, at some point it does kind of get kind of comical. But kind of on another hand, it ticks you off, doesn't it? You know what? It ticks me off that that happens and that I've done that 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 exists and I've been a part of it. And I think it's because I get so self-absorbed with my Christianity that I forget, you know what, that person is probably um, hurting, needs the Lord, you know? Let's keep reading. Thank you, Cynthia, for sharing that. I, I get tickled and ticked at the same time whenever I hear that story. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, when the religious people saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And I guess Zacchaeus heard them say that because he stopped. It says, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. 
Something happened between Jesus stopping at the spot and the religious people clawing at him. There was this change of heart right there in that moment. For this man who was a chief thief, to make such a change means that God did something in him right then and right there. Now, now maybe he didn't say the perfect sinner's prayer. You know, maybe he wasn't hauled off to the pool and baptized. Something happened. This guy who wanted Jesus collided with the Jesus who wanted him. And there was an explosion that ended up in a heart change. Amen? And Zacchaeus is not the only one. I will give it back four times as much. And here's what Jesus says. Today, salvation has come to his house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And that word lost there, it means destroyed. It means perishing. It means dead. It means dying. Basically, he's saying, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were separated from him. That is what he has come to do. And that's what he wants to do. Never has God said, you know what, this, these people are just getting crazy. His mind and heart is always to seek and save the lost. And I think for us, we've got to be reminded of that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to shrink back from communicating the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. When that person who wants God is, is offered the gospel of a God who wants to connect, something powerful can happen. It's called salvation. It's called reconciliation, deliverance, redemption. And it is usually us. Let me, let me not say it that way. That's not fair. It's not always us or usually us. It can be us that delays or even prevents people from coming to the Lord because of what we model or don't model. That's a hard reality, but it is the truth. So my challenge this morning is this. You know, earlier I said that you can, you can be solid in the faith and still shrink back from sharing the gospel. Let's, I'll tell you what, let's do this. Let's be solid in the faith and share the gospel. Let's be solid in what we believe and who we follow. Let's be solid in that. And let's make it more solid by the fact that we are sharing. In fact, in, during Missions Month back in November, we talked about how um, one of the greatest signs of spiritual maturity is publicly professing the gospel. It's just, and it doesn't have to be this, let's go get a soapbox and stand on the corner and start shouting, repent, buy a bus and paint it up. You know, it's the little things really, isn't it? But it's important for us to communicate the love of God, to tune in to somebody that hmm, they may need the Lord and offer them the gospel. Earlier I said that Paul was indebted to Christ. Well, the reality is, is that we are also indebted to Christ for what he did on the cross. And we have to understand the calling on our lives to make Jesus known. Let's stand.